it has been and you're still laughing at that 7-eleven crack aren't you oh the donald trump 7-eleven <laughs> crack that's just the best uh, you know what it is hard. every political candidate messes up right didn't obama say there were 57 states or yeah something like something that, like that. But they you all know what it is it, look but, when you're out first there of all, you're it, tired and you're talking no, no, no. and yeah first of all what, what, what makes it hilarious is that it's, it's from Donald Trump, the perfect candidate, and, <laughs> and we know he's perfect because he tells us he's perfect. We have a, we have, we're actually going to cover that today. There's a DVD. Is that there right? Is, yeah, there is. There's a DVD. Anyway, wow. go on. So the fact that Donald Trump is perfect because yeah. he tells us he's perfect. <laughs> so right now, there's some sort of – right now, uh, there's some sort of effort to make it seem as if it was either a liberal's fault that he said that or that mm. he really meant that. Yeah. Well, like maybe there was a fire station, the fire station 7-Eleven. Right, or down maybe he whatever maybe, it is. maybe he was getting a slurpee when the it could be yeah, I don't know and yeah. the idea that he made the mistake when it comes to one of the great American tragedies yeah. of our history is not uh, anyway. Yeah. So here's the thing, we're, what we're going to talk about before we talk about uh, <laughs> Blu-rays and DVDs. Big thing on Facebook recently about Star Trek. Yes. Now Star Trek, as you know, is a television show. Okay, uh, just diving right into it. Here's my issue with Star Trek. Yeah. It's the 50th anniversary of the show. And Paramount should be pulling out all the stops. Media loves nothing more than an anniversary. True. Especially one that ends in a zero. Yeah. Less so ones that end in a five, mm-hmm. but definitely ones that end in a zero. Yes. So Paramount should be – now, again, they're, they're, reiss- they're reissuing the original series on Blu-ray. Mm-hmm. They're finally issuing the complete series Next Generation on Blu-ray, yep. which I already have on the Eye of the UK release. Yeah. But that, and the movie's coming out. But all yeah. that's coming out basically in June and July. Yeah. The actual show itself, you've, th- th- there should be more. Paramount somehow either doesn't care or they're just letting the movie be that thing. It's a, it's a company in turmoil. I mean, well, I posted this on the Facebook page, too. But it's, uh, you know, Sumner Redstone is, uh, th- th- there's this whole th- lawsuit of whether he's competent or not. His, his ex-companion is, is, there's all the, the, you know, whether he, he's, how much he's worth, his family, who's controlling the company. Uh, whether they were hiding anything, whether then they're going to sell off forty percent to uh, a, a minority owner or not, I mean, it's just there's so much turmoil at the top, and there's a power struggle. And Brad Gray is kind of stifled. I mean, they had the fewest films they have released in like twenty five or thirty years. Last year, they released nothing, nothing. Paramount was like a non studio last year. Well, that's why that's why Star Trek is so. And also, and isn't Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Paramount? Yeah. So the. Those are two tentpole films yeah. that need to overperform yep. in order to justify themselves. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a company in turmoil. So, I mean, honoring the uh, – you would think that they would have had that Star Trek anniversary on their calendars for, for like a decade. You'd think CBS <laughs> would have some sort of primetime special. Yeah, you'd think. I mean, you know, Chris, uh, Chris Santucci on the Facebook page, he said this kind of feels like the end of the movie series. Yeah. Given the lack of interest and the bad vibes from the last film. Yeah. You know, he said, I'd, I would say that Paramount is betting on the wrong pony. And they lost J.J., you know. J.J., he just, he's, he's doing but Star Wars But they gained now. Justin Lin. Now, Justin Lin, as we said yeah, before, yeah, yeah. he's a he's a brand-name director to that audience. Yeah, but he's he's not, a Fast and Furious guy. You know, you know. here's the thing. Star Trek is a thing that requ- that needs someone to godfather it, to give it a to, – to be like Roddenberry, to or sort Rick of – Or Rick Berman. Or Rick Berman. Well, exactly. Someone to oversee the world. 
right? And uh, you know, you, you, you know, Roddenberry did that up through the first film, and then they went with Harve Bennett. And, and even though I have my issues with, with Harve Bennett, uh, the way that he sort of oversaw it, I love Harve Bennett, you know? And he did, he, he did invigorate the series. He brought a whole different kind of sensibility to it once uh, Wrath of Khan came out. So anyway. Woo, Wrath of Khan. Yeah, I know. By and the way, the director's, director's cut. cut. Yeah. By, that director's cut is not very, I've seen it. It's not great. No. And, and you're talking about somebody who has seen mm-hmm. Star Trek II more than he has ever seen any other film ever. We will discuss it when we get it. Uh, basically, it's kind of the TV cut. Yeah, basically. Anyway, a uh, few other few other details. First of all, we want to give a great big shout out to a uh, longtime listener, Al, in San Francisco, who uh, went above and beyond to a degree that we are sort of shocked by. Who put together a monster of a care package uh, to to sort of show his thanks to us for, I guess, entertaining him for all of these years with our uh, with our madness. He sent you a uh, a, a ceramic knife and uh, sent us both a whole bunch of Blu-rays and posters and uh, you know. It really is above and beyond. We can It's above and beyond. Yeah, it's amazing. He, it's, it's it's really extraordinary. I, we we just we're just going through that thing. We're like, are you are you kidding me? Are you really? You did, why would you do this? So, I guess uh, I guess this shtick that we do week in and week out. It uh, it's, it's entertained at least one person. <laughs> it's at least entertained Fantastic. one. Fantastic. So thank you, Alex. It's, thank it's you very so, much. That ceramic is, knife. Every time I make something using gonna, that ceramic knife, I'm going to make sure that I take a photo of it, put yeah. it on the Facebook page. Yeah. Right, because yeah. I want to make sure that people know that yeah. uh, we're actually yeah, yeah. the and uh, obviously you know I have been we've been sent uh, presents mm-hmm. before, right? I am a proud owner of the uh, um, Team America Blu-ray, mm-hmm. right? Yep, gotta love that. Yeah, now I have a ceramic knife. I love this show. And as long as we're on a, a stream of consciousness, I was almost killed this week. Uh, you were almost yes, killed I this was. week. Yes, I was. Please I, tell the world about it. And tell, tell them how I, 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 I was so close to hitting you. <laughs> I, I really tried the best I could, but in the it's end, true. I screwed it up. Uh, it, it, unbelievable. I mean, you, now you, if I may share this, you have actually been hit by a car. I was hit by a van. You were hit by a van. I was walking down the street. I was hit by a van. <laughs> and uh, the, the famous words of, a, of a, a witness was, man, he flew. Yeah, he goes, uh, it got, <laughs> I was lying in the middle of the road, and everyone was like surrounding me as the ambulance came. And I heard some guy go, boy, he really flew. <laughs> that was me. Well, I was, uh, I was parked on a side street in Santa Monica, and I was uh, putting stuff in my back seat. And my wife, who's standing on the sidewalk with our daughter, says to me, she, 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 she says to me, um, look out, she's really close. And I looked up at her, and I, I said, who's really close? And before I even finished the word close... I kid you not, this VW, uh, this woman, this old woman with a handicap placard on the, on the mirror, which I didn't see, but everyone else saw. We have witnesses. Uh, but no plate, no plate. We have a partial plate. Uh, this woman in a VW uh, wagon literally sideswipes like misses shattering my hip by about an inch and a half, plows into my door, tears the door al- almost all the way off, and just keeps going. It was insane. It's like, and you watch them go, and it's not like she's going fast. It's not like she she gunned it to try to get away. I don't think she even realized what happened. And uh, she was she's just just you know a senile old lady driving around with her handicap placard, and she demolished my door, and then she ran. She drove away. You need to get Kojak it's on insane. her ass. It's insane. I've got you need to get Del Vecchio yeah, on her ass. I've got I've got video actually from the uh, there's a corner jewelry store that has surveillance cameras, but they're it's they're not high resolution, so. But does it show the make of the car? Oh, yeah, The color of the car? Oh, yeah. The license plate? No, can't read the license plate. But you said you had a partial license plate. Yeah, we got, like, partial partial digits. So we're hoping. 
Hoping for what? Now, do you go now? Do you can you go to the DMV and say there's a California plate? No, I the letters can't. And I can't, but the cops can. But they're are the cops interested? No, they're, they're well. They, they like the report hasn't even gotten to the investigator yet. So you know, it's uh, they, they just uh, he he already told me to. I mean, he, he he it sounds like I'm wasting his time. You know, I, you get that thing when you talk to them. It's like, yeah, dude. You know what? I got I got murders. I got rapes. I got like burglaries. I got you know. Why don't it, you find somebody else? What like a like a PI? Yeah, why not? <laughs> okay, well, maybe, maybe. Anyway. Find a PI. I'll, I'll, anyway, I'll call the I DMV. Mean, if the cops aren't going to help, DMV is not going to help, right? Yeah, I guess. I'm telling you, don't know what I'm saying to you, and I, I think I told you this over the phone, that this woman, she's going to keep driving. She is. She's going to wind up killing somebody. She will. I have to stop her. If you don't stop her before she kills somebody, you will be an accomplice to murder. We haven't seen Civil War yet. Huh? We haven't seen Civil War yet. What do you mean? Uh, oh, the Marvel. Captain no, America. we have not. Yeah. Well, you know what? I emailed. I'm, I'm eager the, to though. I emailed Disney Looks and uh, I said, "When's it coming? And when's the invite coming for the all media?" Looks good. And she said, uh, uh, "She said basically last week it never came." Yeah. They're not gonna. It, it'll, it'll be. It'll come out uh, four days before the movie. It's comes out. you know we all knew that it was Iron Man and uh, and uh, Captain, Captain America. America. We all knew that that was the face off. But that thing is larded up with other. That's like it's got it's got it's like an Avengers film. It's larded up with a whole bunch of uh, other heroes. Well, what's interesting? New one. It's got Black Panther in it. Well, what's interesting is that it's. I mean, it's a Captain America film, but it it, it feels like an Avengers film. Because, well, they've got uh, Spider Man is in it. Uh, uh, but Black no, pa- no, no Thor, no Hulk. Yeah, no Thor, no Hulk. Um, but uh, you know, Black Widow's in it. It's, it's a. It's like a. It's like a thing. Also, I, I'm really hoping, and it looks like it's going to happen. You can tell already that that Warner Brothers is digging themselves even a bigger hole. Oh, it's unbelievable. You know, I mean, they're looking at this movie, and they're going to get outgrossed by, like, Zootopia and <laughs> outgrossed by Deadpool. Like, literally, it's unbelievable. A, 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 a DC film starring three of their most iconic yeah. characters in their history will be outgrossed by a non-franchise Disney yep. film yeah. and a third-rate Marvel superhero. Yep. Isn't that crazy? It's kind of amazing, isn't and it? And then when Civil War comes out and makes you know $180 million in the first weekend yep. and gets 100% of Rotten Tomatoes, yep. there will they, 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 be some serious scrambling. Oh, there will be big scrambling. I am, I am still predicting that Zack Snyder will not direct Justice League. I still think that haven't that's... They, haven't they started? No, they haven't started. No, they haven't started. I'm, I still think that's... I still think he will not be part of that. I still think he'll... They'll buy him out. They'll put somebody else in charge. They gotta. How how can you? How can you? It is it is it is. It's not even that it's not going to gross what they wanted it to gross. It's not even that it's going. It is going to lose money, and it is going to lose money. It's it's a money loser. I don't know loser. that it'll lose. Well, no, here's no. the thing. No, no, it's a two hundred and fifty million dollar uh, film. I'm not saying that. It, if you do the numbers, that thing has got to make between one point two and one point five billion dollars globally in order to break even. To break even, it's not going to do that. It's not even the money. It's the, it's the it's the quality of the film. The merchant, yeah. Well, the, if the it was merchandising a wonderful is, film, if it was a wonderful film that un, under uh, that underperformed, at least Warner Brothers can, at least they can somehow lick their wounds with that little fact. It turns out that not only will it underperform, but it is almost universally hated unless you're like literally the most low information fifteen year old. True. So with that, we're going to uh, jump into. Uh, I got some kid vid here. I'm going to blast through the kid vid super fast, Mark. I'm going to do this super fast. So speaking of all three of those characters that we just talked about. Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, they are all part of uh, Justice League Cosmic Clash, the original movie. Oh, well, this is the Lego Justice League. Did I mention that? It's the Lego Justice League. Lame. 
It's, uh, you know what? It's okay. It's right. fine. Uh, I'm not I'm not as, as keen on the whole Lego uh, thing Lego as Lego Batman. Else. Why are people excited about that? I don't, I don't understand. I don't either. What were I, this, what, I mean, what were the superheroes doing in the Lego movie? I, I mean, don't really. I, it was cute, I'm, but yeah, it just I'm seems not. like a weird, it seems like a weird extension of the brand to put yeah, in the Lego it movies. It's, it's a bit odd. But anyway, this is perfectly fine. Uh, you, you know, this is... Uh, Cosmic Class Justice League. It's it basically it's a lot of Justice Leaguing with the uh, with the Legos and Wonder Woman looks fat. I don't know what else I'm going to tell you about that. But uh, some other Lego titles here: uh, Lego Star Wars Droid Tales. A little bit better because droids look better as Legos than people. They're droids, right? They're kind of made to be Lego-ish. Uh, the you know Princess Leia and all the rest of the stuff uh, that doesn't really quite work. But uh, you know this is a this is this is a, a fairly popular series. Got a few episodes there. Uh, Lego Ninjago, Masters of Spinjitzu, uh, Possession. This is season five of this show on two discs. Uh, it's perfectly fine, you know, uh, ten episodes, you know, not my, not my scene exactly. And then this is the one that I really love. I really do love this. Uh, Lego Friends Girls Z for Life, digit original movie. Uh, this thing isn't even remotely Lego-like. I don't know how this gets away with being uh, a Lego-branded thing because they look more like, uh, what, do, what do they call those, Hots, Tots? Brats. Brats, yeah, those things. Uh, so anyway, this looks more like a Brats thing that they just branded with Lego, but it doesn't have that whole Lego look that the others have. So, you know, take that for what it is. All right, uh, other superhero stuff. We've got, uh, this is actually pretty good. Uh, this is Justice League versus the Teen Titans. Finally. Haven't you been waiting for that? Justice League versus the Teen Titans? Yes, I have. I have not, too. Uh, Blu-ray, DVD, and a ultraviolet combo set, and it comes with uh, little figurines. This one in particular has Robin. Look, it's got Robin. Isn't that cute? Robin Quivers? No, Robin. Robin like Leach? Robin, uh, Batman's Robin. There he is. He's, you know, he's Teen Titan doing that thing. It's okay. Uh, you know, it's uh, people kind of wanted that team up for a while. Uh, Batman, a DC Universe original movie, Blu-ray, DVD, and ultraviolet. This is uh, Batman Bad Blood, uh, which is, you know, these, these, these things, the people who write these things, they should be doing the movies. They really should. I don't know why they don't. It's kind of bizarre. Anyway, I wish the animation were better. I wish the animation were like the artwork that they have on the cover of these things. Because can you imagine if it were animated with that artwork? That would just rock. See, that would be great. That would be amazing. That's the problem. The but problem that's not is the that art. it's not no, it's that not. great. No, it's not. It's not that great. It's not the art. Not the artwork they have. Uh, but Batwoman is in this, and uh, you know, Firefly is a villain, and there's a lot of other cool stuff. And I always loved Batwoman was always one of my favorite superheroines, and you know, she's so kind of rarely invoked. I uh, got a couple of Power Rangers titles. We got Power Rangers uh, Dino Charge Resurgence and uh, Power Rangers Wild Force, the complete series. I have at this point completely lost track of how many Power Rangers uh, series there were. There have to be like 10. There are so many that Haim Saban basically runs Hollywood. He, he kind of does, doesn't he? He is the man. He's the man. He's so rich. He has he's a whole just, theater named after him. He's got a building Saban with theater. his name on it. I know. Ridiculous. It's all because of the Power Rangers. I know. He bought up hundreds of episodes of some Insane. crappy show and just uh, you know shot wraparounds and stuff with American it's actors crazy. and then uh, made an industry out of it. And crazy. now they're making a Power Rangers movie. I know. Another one. It's crazy. 
Uh, from Nickelodeon, got a couple here. Paw Patrol, not that big on Paw Patrol. My daughter, she likes dogs, but Paw Patrol doesn't really do it. It's kind of more boyish. Anyway, this is Brave Heroes, Big Rescues. And then we also have uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, uh, Half Shell Heroes, Blast to the Past. This is uh, a Nick Jr. show that is, you know, kind of so-so. Uh, not, it's sort of very super cartoonish, Turtles. It's not as good as some of the other Turtle shows. Uh, a little more girly. We got uh, My Little Pony, Friendship is Magic, Friends Aqua- Across Equestria, which will be big with my daughter and the bronies. More the bronies than my daughter. Twinkle Toes. This is uh, Twinkle Toes, Mark. You like Twinkle Toes? Speaking of, um, girl. Uh, speaking of bronies, yeah. so I was in San Francisco over the weekend. Oh, right? dear, yeah. And uh, this guy walks down the street, and uh, I was with my cousin. Yeah. And she says, look at that guy. And I said, oh, no, no, no. You don't understand. That's a furry. A furry? You know what a furry is? Uh, kid, you really do not know what a furry I is. I think I should know. I feel like I do know, and I feel like I've probably blocked it because after my last therapy session, I was too depressed. No, no, no. Furries, furry is a bizarre subculture oh, dear. of people who dress up in elaborate animal costumes. They essentially anthropomorphize dogs cats and they uh-huh. wear, they wear furry yeah, okay. paws and they wear furry headdresses and there are furry conventions I've, I, I've heard of this I don't really want to know any more about it so this guy was walking down the street what this has to do with bronies I have no idea but this guy was walking down the street and he was dressed as a furry mm-hmm. and of course I know what that is because you know I am one okay I'm not one you're scaring me. Uh, so anyway, uh, Twinkle Toes, you know, she's, uh, she's a teenage girl. It's one of those deals, and it's uh, it's an okay show. This is uh, from Cinedime, and uh, she lights up New York. What do you want? It's all right. Kind of kind of wants to be Barbie. When And speaking of, I got a Blu-ray, DVD, and ultraviolet combo set of Barbie Spy Squad, which is relentlessly weird. Uh, the whole... Thing of Barbie on DVD and turning her into like whatever they need her to be on any given thing and here she's a spy she's kind of like uh, doing the Avengers thing a little bit like Barbarella meets uh, Emma meets uh, Emma Peel you know it's like a weird thing anyway uh, so whatever I mean I, I don't get it but I'm sure there are little girls that do mine is too young and always will be from Disney, we've got uh, The Lion Guard, Return of the Roar. This is a Lion King spin-off thing that is uh, actually really, 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 really well animated. I'm sort of amazed. Uh, the storytelling is, you know, so-so. This is actually all about Keon, who is the second-born of Simba and Nala, and uh, who becomes leader of the Lion Guard. So they're sort of continuing the saga. It's, uh, but it, you know, I mean, it's not, it's not a great story, but the animation, it's, it's sharp, man. TV animation they do for, for Disney is crazy. Uh, Goldie and the Bear is actually surprisingly funny. Uh, best fairy tale friends. The Goldie and the Bear, this is all very much uh, in the Shrek motif of uh, uh, mock fairy tales and spoof fairy tales and kind of, you know, twisting and bending the thing with lots of puns and inside jokes. It's very meta. Uh, so th- uh, this is actually a kind of a, a surprising amount of fun. Goldie and the Bear, if you haven't seen it, uh, it's worth checking out. This is from uh, Dis- Disney Junior. And then my daughter, the show that my daughter just cannot get enough of is Popstar Mini. 
Uh, you know, because this is all part of Mickey Mouse Clubhouse, and she loves that damn show. It's unbelievable. So this is Pop Star Mini. Mini becomes Pop Star. It's great. Uh, you get four episodes here, and then a bonus episode uh, for a total of five episodes, and uh, you know, it is what it is. Wait, no one cares. Here's what you, people you, care you about. You know what my daughter is nuts about? Oh my gosh! Do you know what she's nuts about? Is uh, is uh, 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 Sarah and Duck, which is not on DVD oh at all. Oh my god, Sarah and Duck. No, wait, wait. Now Sarah and Duck. Uh, those are that's by the same people who made I'm Curious Yellow. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I'm sure. curious, yellow. Yeah. Look Sarah, it up, no, folks. She goes around quacking like a duck. She calls. Uh, she calls her mom Sarah. She calls me Pink Flamingo. Okay, no one cares. Can I tell you what uh, what's coming out in, on Criterion in July? Yeah, go ahead. Tell me. Okay, wait. Thumbs up, thumbs down. Here we go. Yeah. The New World. Yep. Blu-ray. Yeah. Come on, in July. Yeah. Fla. Fla. Gla. Totally. Carnival of Carnival of Souls. Mm-hmm. Blu-ray. So wait, I'm so eager for that. Clouds of Sills. Um, no, that's in June. Yeah, that's June. Uh, the, Night and Fog. Great. Yeah, Night and Fog. The Renee film. Yeah. Touch of Zen, mm-hmm. which I believe... Uh, yes, yes. That was... I, I got the... It, Al sent me the uh, British Blu-ray of that, which is spectacular. Sweet. Yep. I'm saving the best for last. hmm Wade. Yeah. Finally. Yeah. July. Yeah. The in-laws. I know. <laughs> right? It's great. Can't just, wait. just in time for uh, our, our, our dear friend uh, Richard Libertini to uh, resurrect his... Uh, his okay. His memory, maybe uh, maybe a trigger, a reappreciation of Richard Libertini. Uh, I like visual <laughs> jokes on, on on an audio podcast. That's, great, right? Right? That's good. Yeah, I, I like how you did God, that. She was funny in that movie. He's funny in every movie. Yeah, he is. He's uh, even funny in Fletch. Remember Fletch? He's so good in he's Fletch. In Fletch. Fletch is boss. So, uh, really quickly, wrapping out the kid bid. Uh, Daniel Tiger from PBS Kids. We got Daniel Goes Camping and Super Daniel. Uh, you know, this, this show is skews really young, and I can't say that I highly recommend it, but I do enjoy Peg Plus Cat. And we got a Super Peg and Cat guy. Uh, Peg Plus Cat is, it's all math and, and whatnot, but what's amusing about this is the guy that does the voice of Cat slays me. I watch this thing even without my daughter because I, can't, I just can't handle like, the, the, the way that Cat talks. It's, it's beyond funny. It's, uh, it's a whole new world of funny. We've got Elmo's World, Elmo Wonders. Not really into Elmo's World, much more into Elmo the Musical, but uh, kids love Elmo. They're going to love this. And uh, we got uh, The Cookie Thief, which is a two... Well, it's a, it, you know, this is the cookie monster in a whole elaborate uh, Sesame Street parody that is kind of amazing. And when Sesame Street does these parodies, they do not pull their punches. They go completely bonkers on this. And you got a whole a couple of really cool uh, little bonus features on here, but man, I'll tell you, The Cookie Thief is kind of amazing. The production value of this thing, it, there's a lot of planning that goes into this and an unbelievable execution. It is like puppetry par excellence. Uh, lastly, real quickly, Transformers Rescue Bots, Adventures in Time and Space. That is just low, low-ball Transformers. Uh, new sc- 13 episodes of Scooby-Doo uh, from Be Cool Scooby-Doo, uh, which is, uh, you know, really, it, the, the animation, the original animation is so much better. Like this new hyper-cartoonish Scooby-Doo just does not work for me. Uh, we've got the very, very k- creepy Kate and Mim-Mim, that, that freaky purple rabbit thing in Flight of the Flowers. Uh, this is six episodes, and uh, this is a highly CGI animated thing that, uh, you know, it's got a following, but it, it's odd. Uh, Chuggington, the, uh, the train delivery dash at the docks. Chuggington, now, okay, now, Chuggington is not a story about, like, the ultimate frat boy, right? Uh, no. Chuggington? No. There's nothing with chug beers no, and no. frat parties? Nope. 
Thought maybe it was. Got a couple of pound puppies here, a rare pair, and uh, show-stopping pups. Uh, always, always cute with the puppies. It's not a great show, but the puppies are cute and it's pretty well animated. Puppy. And then uh, rounding us out on the animal front, Littlest Pet Shop Pet Tales. We've got uh, five more episodes here, which are, uh, you know, I guess uh, it, it, I, it, Pet Tales grows thin after a while. A lot of these, the, there's more to the animation than there is to the writing. So once you've seen a few of them, you kind of feel like, okay, same joke, same, going through the same motions over and over. But, you know, there it is. It's KidVid, and the kids are great. So. Wait, wait. Why is um, why is the Iron Giant not coming out till September? Uh, we finally have an Iron Giant Blu-ray not coming out till September, and that's terrible. We don't like that. I know, but it is what it is. All right, Mark. New movies launch us. New movies. We have uh, Point Break in 3D. This, of course, is the sequel to the Keanu Reeves um, uh, film of the same name, and uh, this is about as unnecessary as it gets. It's the only re- reason why horrendous. this thing exists is because nowadays you can shoot extreme sports uh, a lot more realistically. Uh, with small cameras and digital trickery and whatnot, and that is just not enough to make this thing even remotely worthwhile. Um, I guess if you're a fan of base jumping or a fan of extreme sports, I guess you might uh, maybe get a kick out of this or uh, they, fast they, forward they, to the uh, extreme did, stuff. They, they, they abandoned this on the eve of... Uh, this thing was promoted very heavily on some very fringy talk shows late, late, late at night with their, their like third and fourth tier actors, and then when the... Uh, when the as the release neared, they didn't they didn't even contact the press at all. It wasn't screened for press. It was kind of dumped. So uh, and there's a reason it, it was kind of dumped because yeah, it sucks. Yeah. And uh, you know the guy who directed this thing, Erickson Core. Uh, I mean, he's shot a lot of movies. He shot he shot Daredevil. He shot uh, you know he shot some stuff. And mm-hmm. this is his first. I believe this is his first film as, as a uh, feature director. Although he did do he did do Invincible back in 2006, but. Uh, this essentially is uh, worth only fast-forwarding to the extreme stuff. Otherwise, it's a ridiculous story. It's, a re- it's a ridiculous performances. I mean, Delroy Lindo's in it. We always love him. Edgar Ramirez is in this. He deserves a lot better than this. Ray Winstone, we love Ray Winstone. He deserves better. I just think this thing was the loser from the beginning and should not have been made, and yet here we go. And uh, uh, yeah. go ahead. No, no, no. You do your thing. All right. Well, I was going to say this is an interesting movie, Misconduct. Um, this had like no theatrical presence whatsoever. It's very strange, um, but it probably should have. Uh, Lionsgate premiere made this, and uh, you know, you think Anthony Hopkins and Al Pacino, Al Pacino and Anthony Hopkins, Al Pacino, Anthony Hopkins. How does this not it wind up weird, in? Right? How does this not wind up in two thousand theaters or, or something? And then Josh Duhamel. I mean, you know, he's not what he used to be, but. Anthony Hopkins and Al Pacino. How does this not... This is like 25 years ago. This is a big deal. Isn't that wild? It's weird. Anyway, this is kind of basically uh, a quasi-semi-sideways remake of The Firm. Kind of, sort of. Not really. Uh, essentially, Josh Duhamel's a young lawyer. Why not? And uh, there's a whole... There's a whole thriller thing going on um, where Al Pacino plays like the senior partner of his firm. Anthony Hopkins is this crooked pharmaceutical guy. And uh, there's all this kind of interesting insidery intrigue going on. And Josh Duhamel is the kind of Tom Cruise firm guy in the middle of it. Um, it's 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 not quite as tight of a script as it should be. But my gosh, it's, it's not bad. I mean, you know, it should have gotten... Uh, should have gotten a little bit of attention, a little bit of love. So uh, that's on Blu-ray with a, uh, a digital copy, uh, ultraviolet on it. And, uh, you know, it's worth checking out. I, I, I can't say it's great, but it's certainly not worth ignoring. 
Also uh, not worth ignoring is a film that you'll probably never see because it stars a woman who is 7,000 years old. Maggie Smith in The Lady in the Van. Uh, this is Good score, I- though. Uh-huh. George Fenton wrote the score. It's a good score. I, I didn't mind this movie. I thought yeah, the movie was nice. It's fine. It's, uh, uh, Maggie Smith plays a uh, this. It's a home, basically a homeless woman who lives in her who lives in her van, and uh, she parks the van in this guy's driveway and has lived there for fifteen years. And so you know what starts out as like uh, yeah, I'll let you park your van in my driveway, winds up becoming this uh, very interesting friendship. And what I liked about it, of course, is Maggie Smith, who was uh, who was touted for an Oscar nomination, but that was never going to happen. What I liked about the movie is that is not, although it could have been. It is not overly sentimental, which I kind of like, It's, mm-hmm. uh, but yet it's still touching. And it says a lot about the plight of the homeless, which, of course, is always a good thing. And uh, there's a lot of humor in it. And I just think that uh, Maggie Smith is just such a force of nature that she's just so great and commanding that uh, it's nice to see an older performer have a showcase film. It is rather unusual. And notice it is not an American film. Um, but there you go, Lady in the Van, a film you will never see, but still, I have to say, your grandparents... We'll get a kick out of it. A uh, film no one will get a kick out of ever is Fifty Shades of Black. Now, Fifty Shades of Black is, of course, a, uh, the comedy version of Fifty Shades of Grey. The problem is that Fifty Shades of Grey was funny enough as it was. It really spoofed itself because mm-hmm. I did not like Fifty Shades of Grey. That movie was uh, laughable to me. And now we have Fifty Shades of Black. And uh, this, of course, is uh, one of those you know, you know, satire comedies done by a – it's always like a Wayans in here somewhere – and uh, Marlon Wayne stars in this, and uh, you know Fred Willard's in it, which is always good. Mike Epps is a good, you know, it's nice to see him. But uh, it's just so formulaic, you know. I just feel like, you know what, you know what movie actually turns out is pretty good if you talk huh. about like African American comedies, Barbershop, the new Barbershop film. You, you know what, Barbershop, the second Barber, I mean, the first Barbershop film was decent. The second Barbershop film was amazing. It was great. It really was. People, people, uh, they, they slag off on those barbershop films. They're really good. They really are. The second one was phenomenally good. It was shockingly good. And Cedric the Entertainer was, like, borderline Oscar-worthy in that. No, people, people need to give those films a lot more credit. Uh, the Forest. This is one of those uh, spooky movies. We got two movies here that are actually mean to be spooky because they show people's faces in only kind of partiality. Uh, so the forest, you only see the you know partial partial face in the cover. Anyway, this is uh, Blu-ray and ultraviolet, and uh, it's about a woman looking for her sister, missing persons deal, right? So uh, naturally, uh, when you're looking for your uh, when you're looking for your twin sister and you you can't find her, and you 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 know you're walking around going, I don't know. Where is she? Well, maybe she's in the uh, suicide forest in Japan. Okay, let's go looking in the suicide forest. Uh, because a forest called the Suicide Forest is is absolutely going to be where I will uh, easily find my sister and nothing bad will happen. And, of course, you know, it gets all spooky and J-horror and, and weird and freaky and, uh, and, and messed up. Uh, but anyway, uh, the forest uh, had a pretty decent theatrical run, Blu-ray and ultraviolet, whatever. And then we've also got uh, Cherry Tree. Death is just the beginning. As long as we're talking about scary movies and uh, forests and trees, um, keeping the keeping the theme. This is from MPI, and um, this is a this is somewhat similar uh, scenario, only considerably less Japanese, and it has uh, lower production value. Uh, but anyway, this is um, this is about a woman named Faith. As if that's not metaphorical enough. I hate movies where characters. You know what? Here's my here the two words. It's the Young Goodman Brown thing. Did you ever read that in college? No, 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 no. 
Nathaniel Hawthorne, no. I've lost my faith. No, no, no. When wife I, was when, named Faith. When I see a movie with a character called either Faith yeah. or Grace, I, I'm checked out. Okay. You know, this is one of my favorite lines in uh, Hope and Glory where uh, his grandfather says that uh, his, all of his daughters, they're named Faith, Hope, Grace, and there was one other one. Uh, his wife named them for all the virtues that he lacked. It's yeah, very funny. It's very, very funny. Anyway, so uh, Faith, uh, her dad is, uh, he's dying. And um, from there we get into a very strange and bizarre uh, witch narrative that uh, is not really all that new, but it's, it's creepy and it's done okay. And uh, I won't tell you exactly how everything ties in, but, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's okay. I mean, as far as the witch genre goes, it's, uh, it's nothing new, but it's probably one of the better ones in recent years. And then we got a really, really creepy one here. This is The, the Hoarder. Oh, oh no, this is not good. Uh, Misha Barton, who really should be doing better movies, shows up in this. Uh, and this is, is that not one of the creepiest covers you've ever seen for a horror Ew. film? Yeah. This guy basically has his mouth stapled shut. This guy looks like a burn victim, uh, except his mouth is all stapled shut with a series of staples. Anyway, so Misha Barton, who, uh, who really needs to resurrect her career and not just be a scream queen, because she's better than that. Uh, but she's good here. The... Um, the idea is that she uh, winds up going through an, uh, a storage unit, you know, her, her fiancé storage unit, just thinking that there's, you know, we're just going to, like, check out and see what's there. But, of course, it, it turns out that she discovers that, there, that the entire storage warehouse has a rather dark secret, and there's some rather nasty stuff that is stored there by a rather nasty person. And, uh, you know, suddenly, uh, the hoarder... Uh, is after her, and uh, what I, what's interesting is it's it's a it's one of those kind of shining like movies. It takes place in a uh, in a storage facility. So the storage facility is your, you know, it's, you could do worse, right? As a as a setting for a horror film, yeah, you could do worse. Anyway, uh, so it's okay. Um, it's uh, it is it is I'd say slightly above average for one of these kinds of films. And the director Matt Wynn uh, certainly you know holds his own with the genre. And then lastly, we've got a uh, from Wolf, which is a, uh, a, 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 a does a lot of gay titles, LGBT titles. Uh, the uh, this is a weird kind of dark dextery um, comedy that was shown at Outfest this year. I kind of don't get it. Uh, it's a little the tone is a little bit weird, and I guess if I were more of a fan of Dexter, I might I might get it. But anyway, it is like a horror romantic comedy, um, and uh, with a you know with a gay twist. And I I guess uh, there's an audience for that. Maybe. Anyway, you're killing me. George has a killer new boyfriend. That's, you know, I guess it outfits. We really haven't had a like gay. Themed horror films. Well, they they exist, but they just saw film. No, like a mainstream. Yeah, they're they're not mainstream. They don't go mainstream. I guess because they don't think there's an audience for it. I guess. I mean, this thing I could see it being a big deal at Outfest because they don't get a lot of things like that. So why not? It sort of changes, switches it up a little bit. All right, uh, Haley Joel Osment uh, tries to uh, reinvigorate what's left of his career in a film called uh, Sex Ed. It's a comedy directed by um, guy Isaac uh, Peter. I guess his name is maybe Fetter. Not sure. Anyway, uh, he uh, Helly Joel plays a uh, science teacher. Can't find a job. Winds up being hired uh, as an after-school activities coordinator, which really means he's just a detention monitor. 
and his charges, he winds up teaching them about sex. And, you know, there's some funny performances in this. The film's actually kind of funnier than you think it would be, although it's a little bit too long. Mm. Um, there's some implausible characters in here. There's some girl who thinks she has cancer, and that just makes no sense. Um, there is a couple of funny scenes because it just involves, like, young kids swearing a lot. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, this actually wound up being not that bad, but it's really not worth, uh, not worth watching or recommending. Also, we have a very interesting film called Lamb. Lamb is about a, uh, this 47-year-old man who is going through a, uh, a divorce, the end of his marriage, and he winds up befriending an 11-year-old girl, and he befriends her in a very strange way where he pretends to kidnap her and then lets her go saying, well, I could have kidnapped you if I wanted to, but I'm not really a bad guy. Mm-hmm. And somehow through all of that, they wind up having a bit of a road, co- uh, a road trip. Yeah. Where he takes her from Chicago to, uh, to the Rockies. And it's a very interesting relationship. Two broken people who are trying to kind of come together and kind of, you know, uh, kind of find ways to kind of get on with the next chapter of their life through each other. And uh, it's kind of interesting. You know, the girl needs a lot of fatherly attention. And, uh, you know, and he's, for his part, he's trying to get over the, uh, the end of his marriage. And so uh, it's kind of an interesting two-character uh, relationship film uh, called Lamb. Nice. All right, Mark, let's do some, uh, some classic titles here. I'm going to go through some of these new Kinos. Kino sent us a bunch of, uh, bunch of stuff from the uh, Studio Classics line, mostly from uh, the 20th and MGM library that they raided. Uh, the first one is utterly forgettable. I have no idea why this was yanked out. Miracle Beach with uh, Amy Dolan's. Um, well, she was hot. Well, Mickey Dolan's daughter. Yeah, for a while. She, no, wait, 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 wait. Let me Amy Dolan's. Yes. There was a moment there where she was smoking hot. Yeah, but... Well, but Miracle Beach is from, ni- it's from 1992. Yeah. It's yeah, she's smoking hot. Yeah. I mean, now she's probably like old, wrinkly, and disgusting. Yeah, okay. Uh, well, anyway, I don't... I really don't know why this was, uh, this was yanked out. Anyway, this is a very strange one for them to say, hey, let's put this out there, because it really is just unbelievably generic. It's... Uh, it's basically one of those teen sex comedies that has that with a uh, with a magic lamp story thrown in. So it's like uh, you know Aladdin meets uh, the 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 whole kind of beach scene thing. And I'm thinking back, well, isn't that kind of like going back to Doctor Goldfoot and the Bikini Machine? Isn't that sort of the same thing? Didn't we already do that back in the '60s? And yes, we did. So this is uh, really not that remarkable. Um, it's it's just uh, you know it has a few interesting little uh, appearances. Like Pat Morita's in it, and uh, Vincent Schiavelli, who's always a little bit of fun, and Martin Mull. But otherwise, I don't. It, I just think it's totally forgettable. Um, and uh, then we've also got uh, the file of the Golden Goose with Yul Brenner and Edward Woodward. Uh, this is a somewhat forgotten film from 1969, uh, but a you know kind of a decent uh, police procedural. Uh, with Yul Brynner as a uh, treasury agent and Edward Woodward as a Scotland Yard detective who have to get together to uh, uh, take down this gang known as the Golden Goose. Uh, it's, you know, you're watching it basically for those two actors, and they do a really good job. So, I mean, uh, it's, it's not, you know, one of the best of the era, but it's certainly good. Yuli's Gold. Peter Fonda had a moment, uh, momentary career resurrection in this uh, Victor Nunez written and directed movie. He was uh, considered, you know, a momentary, like, possible Oscar favorite for a minute and a half. Um, but uh, the movie kind of faded in the, in the stretch. But still, it, you know what? He got, a, um, he got an, o- uh, an Oscar nomination for it, and he got a, uh, a Best Actor in the Golden Globes. 
and uh, it's very, very good. So uh, you know, uh, it's a late, late life burst of uh, burst of glory for Peter Fonda in Yuli's Gold. Did I ever say when I talked to Peter Fonda on the phone? Uh, yeah, you did. It was weird. Like he would ask questions. No, what was that? What was, he, no, he, his publicist that... told me that when you talk to Peter Fonda on the phone, when it? you pick up the phone, he says goodbye. That's what when it was. When you hang up the phone, he says hello. Yeah. And the publicist wanted me to know this because it's a little odd. <laughs> so the next day, Peter calls me on the phone for a little pre. I was working on a talk show at the time. So it's a odd. pre-interview. Uh, Peter calls me on the phone and says, uh, uh, "says uh, Hey, Peter. Goodbye, Mark. And then we talk and have a conversation. At the end, I say, uh, you know, Peter, thanks for the chat. Look forward to meeting you tomorrow. And he says, okay, Mark, hello. And hangs up the phone. L-S-D. That's what it is. That's it was a bit of a freak out. Even though, I, even though I had a full day to prepare myself for the weirdness, mm-hmm. uh, it was really weird when he said, okay, Mark, I'll see you tomorrow. Uh, uh, hello. And yeah. he hung up the phone. Yeah. Well, anyway. uh, so here's a movie that, is, that has a really legendary uh, pedigree. Panic in the Year Zero with Ray Milland and Frankie Avalon. Uh, this is actually really a, a smart film. This is a low-budget film that they made it over at AIP. Sam Markoff and uh, James Nicholson uh, put this together in 1962, and it's one of the, the, the less exploitation-y films. I mean, it still is, but it has much more kind of a solid uh, uh, pedigree to it. Uh, and the the really cool thing, beautifully remastered, by the way, and this was released right around the same time the Cuban Missile Crisis was happening, so it was able to get a lot of uh, publicity mileage out of that. But uh, essentially, this is all about uh, the, the aftermath of a nuclear attack and society coming apart at the seams, and uh, it's uh, it's pretty great. Uh, it's surprisingly well done, given how, how little money they had to actually do this. So, and Ray Milland, always great. So that is a... That is a gorgeous Blu-ray from Kino. Well done. Love that one. And then lastly, the John Frankenheimer classic, The Holcroft Covenant, uh, with Michael Caine. Look, John Frankenheimer, Michael Caine. I'm sorry. That's, uh, do you need anything else? Yeah. John Frankenheimer directing Michael Caine? Yeah, I mean, you, you know. No, you don't. Popcorn and... No, that's it, right. 60-inch television. There you, you know, go. 4K. Yeah. PlayStation 4. Yeah. You know what? This totally works. It still totally works. Uh, the uh, so basically, um, uh, Michael Caine is a an architect who inherits um, billions of dollars that was um, stolen from the Nazis and uh, in, should be going to Holocaust survivors. And of course, from there we get this uh, this incredible thriller that just sort of devolves into all of these fascinating, weird. Uh, little tentacles. It's 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 very very smart. Really well written. Uh, George Axelrod and Edward Anhalt and John Hopkins are all credited with the screenplay. I would give Axelrod probably most of the credit for why this works. Uh, of course, the source material is the amazing novel by Robert Ludlum. But the novel, have you ever read the novel, Holocaust Covenant novel? I have not. It's pretty dense, and it doesn't really. You can't really see a movie in it, so you got to kind of go. All right, Axelrod. I mean, it took three writers to figure out how to, you know, twist that thing into a movie and, and give it some pace instead of, you know, sort of all of these labyrinthine twists around. But it, it really works. It's beautiful. 1985, one of the last great John Frankenheimer movies uh, with Michael Caine, Anthony Andrews, and Victoria Tennant. Yo. It's good juice. Uh, wait, we have a Criterion this week. We have a Whit Stillman's Barcelona. I, I'm not a huge Whit Stillman fan. I mean, I... He's I, got I, that new film, though. He does. Uh, he, he's, he's like, to me, he's like the... You know, 
New England version of like Ed Burns, a guy yeah. who like had a moment and then he lost it, and people seem to like his but earlier he's back. films. He's so back with it. this thing. It's like a, this is like a, an adaptation of uh, Jane, some Jane Austen thing. Uh, it's lame. Yeah. I can tell you already. Haven't seen it, but they it's lame. They loved it. They loved it at uh, Sundance. Did they? And, but yeah, but well, Mar- people Mar- like to people like to see him again. You know why? Because because guys like this, you just assume that they were just left for dead at the side of the yeah. road in, yeah. in the blockbuster era and what American film has become. So the well, idea that with Stillman can get a film made after all this time, I guess, is encouraging. And, and Criterion does also have, because they previously released Last Days of Disco and uh, Metropolitan, so you can also get a, a three-title boxed set now of Barcelona, Last Days of Disco, and Metropolitan. So you have all of your, that little Whit Stillman trilogy from the 90s uh, on, uh, on Blu-ray. Well, Barcelona, to me, is, is a much more accomplished film than Metropolitan. Metropolitan was, uh, was the film super that low introduced budget. his... Uh, it was super low budget. It introduced his, you know, his like brittle New England yeah. wit, and and it just felt very pinky in the air. I just really did not pinky uh, in the air. It really did. It was just felt very rarefied with the debutantes and the socialites. I just did not get that at all. But it's just not my world, and I did enjoy being in that world. But with Barcelona, he kind of opens himself up character wise, and the way it sort of starts out as like kind of this comedy, and then it becomes a little more dramatic as it goes along. It's essentially about these two cousins. One is a bit of one's uptight, one's not as uptight, um, and they are in uh, Barcelona. And uh, so they spend a lot of time talking about trivial matters of this and that, and dating, and uh, and and shaving, and all the sort of stuff. The little tiny conversations mm. that you know parsing the details sure. of modern life that Wood Stillman I- excels in. Yes, but he also winds up looping that into a larger story. Mm. Right, and yeah. as it gets more dramatic, it gets more interesting. Yeah, you know, I think he really totally. sort of expanded his vibe mm-hmm. th- uh, with Barcelona as opposed to he Metropolitan. Did. He did. Barcelona is a, a really pretty polished film. It still has all that pretentious dialogue, but that's what he does. That's what. That's the thing. That's what. That's his. Does. That's his. Uh, that's and his. By shtick. the way, uh, pretentious doesn't mean not funny because some of it is funny. No, it is. It is, and 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 I always found a little bit of. Um, I always felt he had some of the same affectations as uh, Paddy Chayefsky in the oh, writing. Oh, come on. Some of the same. Really? Not, yeah, yeah. I mean, Paddy like Chayefsky... network Paddy Chayefsky? Paddy Chayefsky is, is, is much more of a structuralist. He doesn't have people sort of sitting around a table and just, uh, you know, doing twee banter. Uh, that's not his thing. But there, there, are, there are ways of... There, there are almost... And I would even say you know, Mamet has some of this as well. There, are, there's a cadence to the way that people sometimes talk and bounce, and there's that kind of ping-pongy interaction that is very much a part of, of, of uh, a lot of Chayefsky, particularly like scenes in Altered States. I can tell you, and there's stuff in Altered States that feels very, very Whit Stillman, and uh, a little bit of uh, a little bit of Mamet and some of his stuff too. So that's just my vibe, man. Wage your ignorant slut. Twilight time. My gosh, what a killer. Every, every month, I, I kid you not, every single month when Twilight Time titles come out, I'm like, how did they look inside my brain and know that I wanted those movies to come out? I'm telling you, Twilight Time, they just keep killing it. Um, what, a, what a great lineup this month. And most importantly, Julia. We get a Blu-ray of Julia, a movie I never imagined in a trillion years would wind up on Blu-ray. Honestly, Fred, Z- like Fred Zinneman's last great movie... Um, one of the great movies in a year that was basically known for like science fiction, 1977. When you look back, 70s, 1977 was in most people's minds all about Star Wars and Close Encounters, and for the most part, pretty much all about Star Wars. People forget that, that film was also the year of Julia, of Paul Mazursky's An Unmarried Woman. Uh, that was the year of Annie Hall. I mean, 
that was an amazing year. You know, that was a seriously amazing year. Anyway, Julia is, uh, is just wonderful. Uh, a, a great pairing of two extraordinary actresses, both of whom are controversial politically. So maybe you hate Jane Fonda, maybe you hate Vanessa Redgrave, maybe they're both a little bit too outspoken for you, but uh, if you can put that aside, um, the two of them are phenomenal in this movie. They are absolutely phenomenal. Uh, based on uh, uh, Lillian Hellman's uh, memoir, incredibly written by Alvin Sargent, uh, beautifully directed by Fred Zinnemann. It is, this is with a, a George Delarue score that is to die for. I mean, everything about this movie is just, it is, is fantastic. It's absolutely fantastic. It is a wonderful, wonderful story. And uh, basically, uh, you know, a, um, a, a World War II narrative. Uh, World War II is a fascinating backdrop to uh, Hellman's, you know, memoir. And uh, it's, just, it's, a, it's just beautiful. And you, of course, get the isolated score of the amazing... Uh, Delarue Music, and Nick Redman from Twilight Time does uh, a wonderful commentary uh, with Jane Fonda, and uh, it's great. And I'm just thrilled that they even got Jane Fonda to you know, be a part of that. It's fantastic. Uh, Chato's Land, Charles Bronson. This is another Twilight Time title. Uh, Michael Winter film, who, of course, was kind of a you know, mid-level, low-level guy for a moment. I'm not a big fan of Chato's Land from 1972. Uh, Bronson you know, has played Native Americans quite a lot. Here he plays an Apache. It's, uh, it's a little bit, you know, it's a little bit, uh, a bit of a stretch, but whatever. Um, more along my, uh, more my speed is Cutter's Way with uh, Jeff Bridges just being unbelievably awesome early on in his career. This was uh, directed by Ivan Passer, another director who had a moment and then went away, but boy, he was really good. Uh, great Jack Nietzsche music on the uh, isolated score track. And uh, Nick Redman does a uh, commentary here with Julie Kirgo. Cutter's Way, uh, kind of a quintessential early 80s film in a lot of ways, uh, looking at uh, you know how the, the, the country sort of was after the, uh, all the dev- devastation of Vietnam and... Uh, uh, everything that happened in the 1970s, um, you know, uh, Jeff Bridges playing uh, playing a you know kind of the 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 swingery dude in the 1980s, and uh, John Hurd playing a Vietnam vet. It's uh, it's it's good. It's a it's a good film. Really captures a moment. Thought it was really good. Uh, in the French style was the one I did not expect to see in the Twilight Time lineup. This is a uh, Robert Parrish film. Uh, originally released in 1962, that legendary year of Lawrence of Arabia, and uh, this is the uh, this was adapted by Irvin Irwin Shaw, um, based on his own short stories that were uh, well. Look, Gene Seberg. That's all you sort of need to know. Uh, Gene Seberg, just absolutely beautiful. Uh, Stanley Baker, fantastic. Uh, and uh, you know, this is um, really kind of a, a really cool. Um, just a really cool European Paris set, you know, love story. It just, it's got a great 60s vibe to it. It's fantastic. Uh, Mickey Rourke in A Prayer for the Dying. This was uh, largely panned. Mike Hodges has never had sort of a solid following as a director. But um, uh, you know what? Mickey Rourke is good in this. I think this is, uh, looking back on it, this is a mid-'80s film. And uh, Mickey Rourke as, a, as an IRA terrorist, not exactly, uh, you know, great casting. But, uh, and Alan Bates is kind of ridiculous in this, but Bob Hoskins is really good. The movie actually dates better than I thought it would. I remember it was kind of, uh, it felt very shrill at the time. I mean, Mike Hodges, best film that he ever did, Flash Gordon, far and away. I'm just going to put that out there. And then lastly, from the Twilight Time lineup, Mark, you remember who wrote this movie? 
Sure you do. Oh, I like Thunderbolt and Lightfoot. Sure you do. You know who wrote it, right? What do you mean? You know who wrote this? Who wrote it? Okay. Well, first of all, it was, uh, you know, this is Jeff Bridges and uh, Clint Eastwood in, like, one of, the, one of the best kind of, you know, cool pairings of two bad dudes with guns. Uh, really quite a fun and uh, wild and un- unbelievable movie. Uh, this was written and directed by someone who was given a rare chance by Clint Eastwood, and he has always given Clint Eastwood credit for, for going out on a limb and letting him uh, start his career, basically. Well, I know who directed it, but he, did he write he it He wrote also? it, too. Yes, he oh, wrote he it. Yes, it. Yes, Michael yes. Cimino. That's it, Michael Cimino. We make fun of him on this show. <laughs> yep. But, th- but it's, he's had such an odd career because Michael Cimino does not uh, – Thunderbolt Lightfoot does not seem to track from, like, the deer hunter – well, and he, some of the other stuff he did. You know, it's uh, Eastwood. He he really gives Eastwood all the, the acclaim in the world for for giving him a chance. I mean, there was no reason why Eastwood should have gotten behind that movie, but he did. It's, it's cool. a fun movie. It's a cool movie. Used uh, to show on TV all the time when I was growing up. Wait, uh, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre Two Collector's Edition is out on Blu-ray. Yeah. Um, this film came out about ten years after the original, and I hated this film because I thought it really just crapped on the original. Because the original was was groundbreaking and scary, and but this one is just ridiculous and silly and over the top and just it just it's almost like it almost just makes fun of the first film. I just feel this thing was just a complete misfire. I mean, I guess I understand if Toby Hooper, who would go on to obviously direct Poltergeist and a couple other good films, um, I, if he felt he didn't want to uh, repeat himself or do the same thing but just give it more. I guess I understand that, but why did he have to have Dennis Hopper? You know, why did he have to have all these people just uh, acting know, silly and over the top? It, it just really was disappointing. It was it, it, it was camp. It was just high camp, and I think they just figured that was the only way they could get away with this sequel. But you know, but this sequel, it's it's just it just, it just craps on the original. It, it, this sequel manages to make the original a worse film. Mm-hmm. That's how bad because it just it just makes the original feel like it was just a joke. Yeah, the whole thing was just a joke. True. So I'm not a fan of this film. I know it does have its fans. Uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. It does look good, even though it was a very uh, low-budget film for the time. And, uh, yeah, it's got a lot of special features on it. Scream Factory, these guys, they knock it out of the park, man. They really know how to put together a Blu-ray. And there's plenty of special features. It's a a 2K scan, so it looks okay, fine. New audio commentary by the DP and the production designer. That's always fun stuff. They do have a lot of uh, memories and recollections that are very entertaining to listen to. And there's a second disc with lots of interviews and featurettes and behind-the-scenes stuff. So, yeah, if you love this film, definitely get this. It's a definite pickup. But to me, I just think this thing was just uh, it was just a real disappointment. So we'll hit a, hit a couple of docs before we get into uh, some TV. But, Mark, I got, a, I got an interesting trio of documentaries here. There's a theme, okay? There's a theme. I'm going to go through the theme here, okay? I'm not making a statement. I'm just going with a theme because these are all docs. These are all new docs, new to DVD. So the first one is from uh, Doc Factory and Bullfrog Films. It's called Shadows of Liberty. Shadows of Liberty, Mark. Shadows of Liberty. Wow. Uh, this, is a, uh, this is a fascinating hour-long uh, documentary. There's, uh, it, it, there's like an hour-and-a-half-long version on here, too, but you, you, you could watch the hour-long version. is, is perfectly fine. 
And it is all about how the the perspective of the media in our uh, political campaigns is very corporate-dominated. I know that's kind of a recurring theme. I know everybody sort of says, yeah, tell me something else that's new. But it is an interesting dissection of it, really looking into the details and uh, sort of how how you can sort of see the skew and what stories are pulled and what stories are plugged. And um, very interesting. It is Shadows of Liberty. And then from that, we go to... I can be president. A kid's eye view. Isn't that a, isn't that a cute little drawing on there? That little kid. He's waving. He's like, Aww, I can be president. He can be right? president. He can be president. He's standing on a stool in front of the White House and he's waving. Hi, I can be president. Uh, this is from pair of filmmakers Diane Collier and Michael Sporn. And uh, this is a lovely uh, little look at uh, a bunch of different kids from different backgrounds. Who are all interviewed? Little, you know, they're they're grade schoolers who are all interviewed about um, being able to become president. And Michael Sporn, the co-director, if some might know him as he's an award-winning animator. He's, I think, he may even have been Oscar nominated a couple of times. Uh, but in any case, he he animates all these sequences and uh, gives them. It's a little bit like a. You know, there's a. I don't. It's a little bit like uh, what was the Oscar-winning uh, Nick Park film? Um, with the animals, uh, the uh, Wallace and Gromit. No, not the Wallace and Gromit. One, the first um, one. His very the first chicken run. No, no, no his very uh, first one. Uh, well, you know where he interviewed people and yeah, he yeah, animated yeah. them to animals. I always forget the name of that. Well, anyway, so uh, yeah, so this is a this is a very sweet film. Uh, I can be president. A kid's eye view, and so from Shadows of Liberty about uh, media corruption of news coverage in politics to a kid's eye view. I can be president. We come to. Mark. The making of Trump. <laughs> this was on the History Channel. Um, so uh, here it is. With, uh, it comes with an ultraviolet uh, copy so that you can carry it with you anywhere, and you can, you can, you can have Trump with you anywhere. You can watch the making of Trump on your phone when you're driving. We're in the middle of Trump now. Why would yes. they come out with this? Don't we want to know what's going to happen? Uh, you, you know what? It, this, is all, this is actually all about how he became the magnate that he is. Uh, and uh, you know they're obviously getting they're, they're you know History Channel has no shame they they just they, if, if if there's anything in the zeitgeist they just go through the archives and they just ram out whatever they can so anyway uh, you do get a lot of interesting interviews in here and uh, there's nothing new particularly I think everybody by now sort of knows this uh, Trump is not exactly a guy with a lot of uh, he doesn't really have any skeletons in his closet. He just dangles them from his neck all day long. I, they're out in the open. They're, they're, everything is known. So this isn't going to sort of un- expose. You're not going to find out. Oh my gosh! Look, he, uh, you know, he, well, look at what he did. I didn't. I had no idea that he would. You know, he went to a soup kitchen on the weekends and uh, and 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 bust tables. You're not going to find out anything like that. That's that's not this movie. So um, it's 90 minutes of sort of uh, everything you already know if you can if you can go through it. But anyway, uh, look, there it is. Those are three on the uh, political scene. Uh, wait, let's blow through some television. And some docs. We have uh, Ken Burns, his essential documentary on Jackie Robinson. This is a uh, four-hour. This is story. really good. It is very good. It's Ken Burns, really of course. Good. You know, it's interesting with Ken Burns where he's very much into the African American experience, and uh, because obviously Civil War and, and baseball, baseball, yeah. and now we have Jackie Robinson, and while and in jazz and jazz, that's yep. true. Yep. Um, and while you think that this is four hours of just putting Jackie on a pedestal, that no. is actually uh, not the case. Nope. And it's it's just so fascinating how you you realize um, what 
Jackie was when he first came up. Yep. He was the guy who had to just grin and bear it, had to just swallow yeah. all the abuse he was given. But then at some point, Branch Rickey said, hey, man, you know what? You've established yourself. You know, you've, you've, you've won all sorts of awards. Mm-hmm. You're obviously legitimate. You're a great baseball player, whether African-American or not. Yep. You're just a great baseball player. You can you're off the lead. You, you you can say what you want now. You can be the player that everybody else is. There it is. And and Ken Burns gets into the angrier, yeah. Jackie Rom, the one who would stand up for himself. Yeah. And that was an interesting turn. And then what I found particularly sad about it is after Jackie had retired, mm-hmm. you know, he was obviously getting older and the hair was getting grayer and he was he was he, you know Martin Luther King had these great things to say about him and he was being held up as his as his paragon yeah. and whatnot and. You know, Jackie understood that that was kind of his... A role he had to play. A role he had to play, even yeah. if he didn't always like it. So yeah. it, it gets into warts and all about Jackie, and there's an amazing interview. Uh, the, the, the primary interviewee is, uh, of course, Jackie's wife, who is uh, thankfully uh, still around. And, uh, yeah, this is essential stuff. Jackie Robinson, filmed by Ked Burns, and uh, Sarah Burns and David McMahon. There's a couple special features. Well, I, was, I was hoping there, there would be uh, more. But uh, still, you get yourself a great documentary. Four hours, great stuff about Jackie Robinson. Also, we have Ron Taylor, Dr. Baseball. Now, I got very excited when I saw this because uh, Ron Taylor was a New York Met. And I thought to myself, wow, this is going to be great. Well, it turns out that um, this is not really about him being a New York Met. It's about uh, this guy, Ron Taylor, he was a pitcher for 11 years, and he played for the Cardinals, and he, he was actually on the uh, 69 Miracle Met team, and he winds up on a USO tour through Vietnam. And being on this USO tour through Vietnam would totally change his life. He would wind up devoting the rest of his life to, uh, you know, to uh, medicine, and um, he'd enroll in medical school, and uh, he became uh, the Toronto Blue Jays uh, team doctor. So it's a very interesting uh turn of life for uh, Ron Taylor, and it's all documented in this um, documentary, Ron Taylor, Dr. Baseball, very well put together with the archive footage and new interviews by uh, Drew and Matthew Taylor. Very insightful, very interesting story. He, they, they, they get a lot of great interviews. There's uh, Joe Torres in this, Bob Gibson, Lou Brock, Ferguson Jenkins, Pat Gillick from the Blue Jays, and it's a terrific look at a very interesting baseball life. Ron Taylor, Dr. Baseball. Fabulous. All right, uh, wrap it all out with some TV. Some foreign films I was hoping to get to, but we're going to have to save that for next week. Uh, we've got a couple of the Bible Stories series. Uh, this has been uh, this is kind of an ongoing thing from Shot Factory. They're uh, they're they're pumping these out. Uh, Samson and Delilah with again Dennis Hopper coming over from uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre two, and uh, Elizabeth Hurley, believe it or not, and Eric Thal, who was kind of a, a guy for a moment. Uh, you know, this is a weird telling of the story. Not at all what uh, was was foreseen by uh, Cecil B. DeMille when he did the original one. The weirdest part of this is it's directed by Nicholas Rogue. It's a very strange thing. Uh, This is from 1993, in any case. Um, Diana Rigg shows up in this as well, which is kind of the saving uh, grace. Eric Thal, I don't know where he's gone, but uh, he's a very strange Samson. Uh, I I can't say I liked him a whole lot. Elizabeth Hurley, better as Delilah. Uh, but anyway, it's, uh, you know, if you know the story, it's probably worth checking out, I guess. And then uh, David is a little bit better, Leonard, because Leonard Nimoy's in it. Leonard Nimoy, Nimoy makes everything better, uh, especially when he's all gray and bearded and, you know, very kind of uh, biblical-looking. But uh, this is the story of David, who becomes King David, and uh, it's good, you know, slaying Goliath and all that stuff. Uh, Jonathan Price is in it as well, Cheryl Lee coming off of... Uh, 
uh, Twin Peaks. This is 1997, so you know, still still looking very much as she did on Twin Peaks. Directed by a guy named Robert Markowitz, who I have very little exposure to. Uh, but uh, anyway, yeah, this is uh, perfectly acceptable. Better than the King David movie starring Richard Gere, which was just an abomination. That was just horribly embarrassing. Your, oh, tr- your turn. Uh, am I saying yes. things now? Yes, go ahead. Uh, Veep Season 4 is on Blu-ray, and uh, this show is just gosh darn funny. And the reason why this show is gosh darn funny is because of um, Armando Iannucci, because he uh, wrote and directed a... Uh, yeah, he directed... He wrote an amazing film called In the Loop. Oh, that's right. One of right. the great political comedies yeah, that starred right. uh, James Gandolfini. Which you like more than I And the, I just think that film is just yeah. absolutely fall-down hilarious. Yeah. And he created Veep, and this has been an amazing vehicle for... Um, Julia Louis-Dreyfus. Uh, you know, it really has. I never imagined this show would take off like it did. I never imagined that Julia Louis-Dreyfus had like another chapter in her career. Uh, right? You know, it's this is like, this, this thing has won like, you know, half a dozen Emmys. I know. This thing just won't stop. Who would have imagined that of all the people on Seinfeld that would actually go on to another chapter, she would be the one to have like the next hit? I think, my, I think Michael Richards could have a great career uh, doing stand-up. Yeah, he could. He and, sure could. And, and you know, and maybe if he did stand up and, and only said certain words and didn't say other words, <laughs> he, he could be a lot more successful. Yeah. Anyway, Veep is uh, just gosh darn funny. Really like the show a lot. Great cast is her, you know, incompetent staff. And uh, yeah, so I would definitely check out Veep season four. Also, we have season two of Silicon Valley. Season two of Silicon Valley better than season one because uh, you know they've uh, they've set up all the characters, they set up their environment. Now they can just start to play. Uh, this thing already has already won a couple of Emmys. It's a very satisfying season. They they really know exactly from whence they speak. Uh, working at uh, you know TechCrunch Disrupt, and it's got a great cast and it's very funny, very insightful. I think this thing is great. Season three, uh, season three uh, premieres soon. If it hasn't already, I think it premieres soon. But uh, yeah, definitely check out uh, Silicon Valley. Mike Judge, one of the great, uh, almost underappreciated satirists. Uh, of our time, and uh, yeah, that's Silicon Valley. Also, Man. we have the complete six season of Pretty Little Liars. Yeah, Pretty Little Liars is a show where five hot girls uh, in their twenties uh, just they lie and they cheat and they steal. And there's there's actually people, girls, not people, yeah. they're girls. Yeah, they will watch this show in groups. Really? And when the next twist happens that they didn't that they, they didn't, didn't see that coming, didn't see coming, they would scream and yell at the top of their lungs in surprise. And what's even worse is. They record themselves watching the show and screaming and yelling with each surprise, and then they cut those videos up and put them on YouTube. Okay, that's a that's, little bit. It's a little bit odd. That's true. Anyway, there's a couple special features here. Uh, I, uh, the only thing that means anything to me on this show are the hot girls. Otherwise, couldn't care less. And then we have Haven, the final season. Uh, this is this was one of those shows about kind of a dystopian, mysterious future. Things have gone wrong. Uh, we've had like a dozen of these over the past four or five years, ever since Lost. Lost kind of precipitated all of these. Anyway, uh, these are people who, you know, the fog bank uh, created the, the, the world of Haven, and uh, everything gets all very weird and losty. This, uh, you know, th- this show has uh, a following. I'm not particularly among it, but uh, it, it wraps out rather nicely. It's a nice final season, and... Uh, you know, looks looks good on Blu-ray. I mean, what do you want? I, it's one of those one of those uh, CW type casts that just they look all the same. We also they have the ninth and final season remastered in the deluxe remastered edition of Little House on the Prairie. Uh, this show is on fumes by this point. Uh, you know, Michael Landon is is uh, 
is a shadow on this show, and uh, that's it. It's just, uh, it, this is just trying to go out with a little bit of dignity. We have another uh, Wind Calls the Heart. This is Troubled Hearts. Uh, the only thing that kind of makes this a little bit engaging is that Lori Laughlin and Jack Wagner have uh, have an interesting chemistry. So, uh, you know, uh, by the way, this is Michael Landon Jr. who produced this. And uh, that's kind of typical Hallmark fare. Uh, a show that uh, continues to have a resur- weird resurrection, Sisters, out in the season four. Uh, I always liked this show at the time, mainly because I'm a huge Seal Ward fan. Uh, but it's a good cast, you know, Swoozy Kurtz, Patricia Kalember, Julianne Phillips, and Celia Ward. Uh, you know, the uh, the fourth season is still very much as strong as the first three, and it's worth checking out. This was before Sex and the City, before Girls, before all of those other uh, female empowerment shows. This was like the first one, pretty much. And uh, you even get uh, George Clooney showing up here, which is, uh, is kind of cool uh, for TV trivia fans. And uh, that looks like it, Mark. That's it. We're done this week. What? Uh, yeah, we're done. So hopefully I have a car again next week. By the way, it's Cocoa this week. Uh, did I mention it's Cocoa? Uh, you have not. However, uh, no one cares about that. We should thank our friend. Thank Al one more time. Al, thank you one more time. Really above and beyond. We are so grateful. See you guys next week. <laughs>